0: 11 very ordinary men from a 22-mile radius of Celtic Park scaled the heights of football and greatness and won the European Cup, arguably the greatest ever achievement in football history that's never been surpassed. Our guest this evening is revered amongst the Celtic support and is immortalised in club folklore. Your story and achievements have transcended generations. We're absolutely delighted to have a living legend and a Lisbon line with us this evening. Jim Craig, welcome to the Patriot again.
1: Thank you very much indeed. I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. Absolutely not it was an amazing day Thank in you, our sir. lives, you know? Absolutely. I said it was an amazing day in our lives, that uh, day in Lisbon. And um, it was a very strange day because there was various things happened during it. First of all, it was Ascension Thursday, so the Catholics and the party went to Mass, which was um, uh, not too far away from the, the, the hotel in Estrell. And then um, as we left the hotel, we saw Alfredo Di Stefano standing at the door with, talking to the directors. And we didn't know at that time that we were going back to playing his testimonial about a fortnight later. We just wondered why he was standing there talking to the director. And then we're on our way to the national stadium and somebody shouted from the back of the bus to Jock Stein, who was sitting in the front seat, hey, boss, everybody's going a different direction to the way we're going. Are we going the right way? and Jock had a word with the driver who did not know where the national stadium was, and he turned the bus around and followed the crowd. <laughs> so when we got to the stadium, we were quite late, and it was, you know, much later than it would normally be, and uh, there was a kind of rush to get ready. And then as we came in, there was a, a, the dressing rooms were in a kind of courtyard, and you went across the courtyard and came up the steps to the ground, and as we're coming up the steps, we're right beside the Italians, who looked magnificent, by the way. They were bronzed and oiled, and the strip was a different class. It was a much classier strip than the one we had on. And we looked really bad because we were Peely West Scot West of Scotland guys with who'd been in the sun for three days and were all sort of <laughs> blotchy red and stuff like that. So, you know, compared to them, <laughs> we, must, we must have looked something special, you know. Anyway. That was when, and it was very perceptive of him, but that was when Bertie decided to sing the Celtic song. Now, I think he saw that we were a bit down at that point. Not down, but, I mean, it's a big, big occasion in your life, a European Cup final. And, you know, just now, with what happened in the Boston then what happened in, uh, you know, get up the steps, uh, nothing's gone too right so, so far <laughs> and we're just about to step onto the pitch and he started signing the Celtic so and we all joined in and it was actually a, just a, a really settling moment he, he deserves a great deal of credit for that because you know nobody said to him sing it or anything like that he worked it out himself that uh, we were need a wee bit of a boost and, and that was it and we got it
0: what a man Absolutely unbelievable. The um, we'll, we'll touch on Ben in a wee bit because it is so sad that um, well, the Celtic support have lost a giant, and you yourself have lost a close friend. Um, so we'll touch on that in a wee minute. Um, what a player, but what a man he was as well. Um, we'll we'll just go back to prior to you signing for Celtic, you're studying dentistry yeah. at Glasgow University. How yeah. um, how did it how did it come about that you you signed for Celtic Football Club?
1: Well, they have been following me for a few years. I mean, I was uh, I played for Scottish schools under 18, two years running. First one, we went down to play in England. We got beaten uh, 2-1 in Burnley, and um, Tough Moor in Burnley. And in the second year, I was captain at Celtic Park. And the funny thing was, before the game, the door opened, and they brought in this guy who had also played in the same game about three years before that, and he was introduced to us all. And that was the first time I met Billy McNeil. Because he had been a captain three years before <laughs> I was a captain, and um, as I say, that was very unusual. And then, in another six years, we're in the same Lisbon team together. So it's funny sometimes how life works out, doesn't it? You know. Um, so that was that was how I, the whole thing worked out. And um, uh, as I say, when I signed in '65, and then Bertie came into it again. Can I mention him again, Bertie? Caution, of course, all night. All well, I got my debut against Go Ahead the at Celtic Park. It's really funny, actually, because um, I was a student at the time, I was a fourth year student in dentistry, and uh, <laughs> I pinched uh, cornflakes at my mother's house because that was my pre match meal. Which I had about four o'clock <laughs> <laughs> in the canteen. I'd bought a pint of milk and uh, cornflakes and milk. And then I went, walked down, and I get the, the, the bus up to Celtic Park. And on the bus for supporters going to the game. They're we all talking about the team. And of course, nobody knew I was playing. I knew I was playing because the, the boss had told me the night before. And uh, they were talking about who was playing in the team. And I was sitting there just quite a thing. Nobody knew me or anything like that. So, you yeah. know. So, um, I was quite nervous, as you can imagine, being my first mm-hmm. game. And I was in the toilet a few times. And I came out. Bertie wasn't playing that night because they won 6 nothing in the first leg in Deventer. So, Jock had taken the opportunity to play a few younger guys. and Myself, I was included. Uh, and... Um, I was in the bathroom and I was washing my hands in the, in the toilet facilities <laughs> and suddenly I looked up and Bertie Old was standing beside me. Now, I only had met him once before and he says to me, you don't need to do that. He said, and I said, do what? He says, you're nervous, but he says, you've got to conquer it. He says, you're in this team and merit. You're a right good player. And he says, you're going out there to do really, really well. And it was just what I needed. <laughs> Because I was really feeling a bit lost at that point, and he went on for a few minutes, just pushed me up. And he said, "Right, I'll see you at the end of the game." And he says, "We we'll won this tonight. We only won at one nothing, by the way, and we get booed by the crowd at the end of it because it was only one nothing after six <laughs> nothing in the first game But um that was—I I was always grateful to him for just giving me that wee kind a of pep talk uh, before the game. And it was very typical of Bertie that he would have noticed something like that—that that I was, you know, nervous and. And uh, it, it, it was good for me because it made me do the same kind of thing for younger guys as the years went on. I was always very aware of looking around the dressing room and seeing how people were reacting when I was more experienced player. And, and I, I think I was able to help uh, more than one, you know, at, at times like that. You know? um, uh, so uh, I'm always grateful to him for that.
2: Jim, just you, imagine
1: Burry there, it, it just seems like,
2: the whole team at that time um, was just packed full of characters, um, but also you just came across like very humble men. Um, did did just all click right away? Like, was there any feeling um, at any time when you joined that like you were entering something special? Like, did you get a feeling that the men you were playing with were like the real deal and just what they achieve, what you've been on to achieve?
1: No, there was some... No, we already had a graduate playing for us. John Cusley was a Spanish graduate, so he was already in the team. But John had been brought up in Lanarkshire, where quite a number of the guys came from. And I was a Govan boy. And uh, the only one that was another Govan boy was Joe McBride. And uh, two of us were quite pally. And um, uh, that was a great uh, help. Joe was a great help uh, to me as well. But uh, the the moment that made life easier for me was we're doing a five a side and I gave the ball to wee Jimmy and he, he must controlled it. And then he turned round and he shouted to me, What kind of pass was I give anybody? And I said to him instinctively, if you killed it the first time, you'd have been all right. And he came <laughs> over to me <laughs> we his hand out and he says, Well done, Jim, you'll do okay. <laughs> <laughs> And, and that was a kind of leveler, you know. I was suddenly in the group because I wasn't going to take any nonsense.
3: And, and uh, you know, uh,
1: so that, that was a, an amazing day in my life, you know.
3: Uh, talking about, I'm just talking about coming to the team, and as Lee was touching on there about feeling something special. The big moment a lot of people talk about was winning the cup in 65, and people say it was like the springboard for going on. But the two guys as a team, Feel kind of after winning the cup, or we have a chance here of gone win the league the following year because obviously Celtic hadn't won the league for something like 12 years before that. I...
1: No, I think the 65 game was a very important one because you know Jock had only come in in the 6th of March, 65, and a few months later won his first trophy, and it was a big one too, you know. Um, and and, and I think that helped him as well as all the players, to suddenly get a trophy under this new manager. Uh, I wasn't in the team by that time because I'd only signed in the January and they played the cup final in, in April and I didn't make my debut until September. But um, it was a big moment for the Celtic players and the support as well because it had been a long time since, you know, a trophy had come there. 1957 League Cup was the, the last time that, you know, a trophy had ride at Celtic Park and it was it was a difficult time to be a Celtic fan because um you know other clubs were doing quite well and we were yeah
0: it's well documented about the sort of characters that you said in the dressing room and the camaraderie and the fantastic thing I think about the Lions is the fact that as I say in the introduction that's kind of transcended generations. So there's the stories that are as relevant now as they almost were back in sixty seven generations post I almost feel like they know the team and they know the characters and there's it's sort of carried through history. Is there any particular yep. story of a player that sticks in your mind on any trip or any game where you thought it sort of, it, it sticks out as sort of indicative of the person or the, the team itself?
1: Well, I can tell you one about the boss. The boss used to come, first of all, and uh, it would be a big game. And uh, in the dressing room, we stripped in order, you know, goalkeeper, right back, left back, so on and so forth, right around the team. And uh, Tommy Gamble, who was right next to me, would say, "Here comes Kearney." I was, by the way, I, I was always Kearney when I was playing football. There was a series in television called This Man Craig, and John Kearney played the lead. So that was me. I was always Kearney. In fact, some of those guys don't know my Christian name, by the way. All right, I'm just Kearney. Do them, right? <laughs> and, uh, He uh, he says, here he comes, here he comes, here he comes. And Jock would come over and put his feet up on the bench between the two of us and say to us in a quiet voice, could I just remind you two gentlemen that you are defenders first and attackers second. Okay. (laughs) And that was the message getting across, right? And it was quite true. If you were the two or three on your shorts or your back, you're a defender. And That's one of the problems Celtic having just now is that the defence is not quite as strong as it might be. And we talk about the guys getting forward. Well, that's not their job, first of all. Their first job is to be a part of the defence and make sure that you shut the goal up so the opposition can't score. And then once you've done that, then you can maybe come forward and and do it. But that was his way of just a wee reminder that the two of us were, you know, just... uh, Defenders first, and attackers second. I can still picture him saying that to me, you know. <laughs> but Tom was a great lad, you know, and uh, bloody scamp, by the way. But I mean, it was just uh, a <laughs> good life to be with, you know. And um, I roomed with him for years, and uh, I'd come downstairs, and the boss would say to me, "Where is it?" I said, "Boss, what do you mean, where is it?" He says, "I said, he's your player. You look after him. Where is he, Kenny?" I says, "Well, look, boss." I come out of the bedroom at the same time as him. I come down the lift at the same time as him. I've not seen him since. So I don't know where he is. All right. Oh, I told you to keep an eye on him. I said, this man is the same age as me, boss. Oh, I am. I'm keeping an eye on him. <laughs> You're the one in charge. You keep an eye on him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. He was, he was some man, by the way. Oh, God. Yeah. well I'll not go into that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, he was good fun as well, Tom. Yeah, in fact, the whole team was good. You know, there was nobody that didn't join in things, and and um, you know, you, you, uh, you there were a lot of moments that were good fun, and you know, different areas, just different things happened, and you can of bring them all to life just when you want to bring them to life, but but there, it, you can, I can assure you that there were a lot of great moments. You know? yeah. yeah, well, I can tell you one about Bertie. He um we're playing in, um, in New York against Eintracht Frankfurt and um, he gave me a terrible pass by the way, right, the guy came in and tackled me at the same time as the ball arrived and flattened me completely and I stood up and I let out, I there, right, and he put his hand up in the air said, well, sorry, Kierney, you know, but I could see he was laughing as well, you know, at the same time, he was only, you know, doing what he normally does. Anyway, from then on, for the rest of the first half and the whole of the second half, every time he got the ball, he hit me with it. And it was always accompanied by the wee shout, is that one all right, Kearney? That pass okay, son? <laughs> right? For the whole of the bloody game, and I know <laughs> And I was bloody knackered. I was I was getting to the stage where I was hiding behind folk to keep out the bloody road. <laughs> but you still found me, you know? <laughs> oh dear. Yeah. Good fun. Very good. Can't hear you? Yeah,
3: there's no sound. That's it, sorry right now.
1: The sound's gone again.
3: Try again, Lee. No. No, I can hear you. Yeah, I don't think I think
1: your
3: sound's gone, Lee.
2: What about Nilets? Yes, yeah, oh,
3: yeah. perfect. Go ahead.
2: Pierce nice. can, can edit that on get, anyway, Jim, so we can caught just... Jim, so, what I was gonna what I was gonna say is you seem very, very close knit um football today it seems it's it seems a lot more individualized compared to um sort of back in the day would you say that was that played a like a massive role in in the in the club's success back then
3: How close yes, it were? The
1: we all got on with each other there was you know you get of course you get cliques in any club but um it wasn't if you were to ask the room with somebody in his room with them and all that i mean I noticed in the papers today I saw a piece there where uh, Ronaldo uh, is paid £500,000 a year. No, £500,000 a week. <laughs> Manchester um, United now, that's a nonsense, isn't it? Absolutely really? nonsense. nonsense. How can you justify something like that, to be quite honest, you know? And, uh, uh, I mean, if—and it seems to be quite well known that he's on that kind of stuff. So you can imagine some of his teammates We'll not be too happy that he's earning as much as that. And they're obviously not earning. They're earning well, but they're not earning that kind of stuff, you know. And um, we didn't know what anybody else was getting, and it didn't really make much difference because the wages were not very great at the best of times, uh, you know. When we won the European Cup, we got a bonus of £1,500, which after tax came to either, depending on who you speak to, 764 or seven hundred and forty-six. And I believe that a year later when Man United won it, they get something like £10,000 a man and a pension for life, you know. So you're always in the shadow of England um, because the money is always bigger down there. And that's why managers were not too happy, Scottish managers were not too happy with their players going to the international teams because they would hear the wages that were getting down south and, oh. and be upset by them and all the rest of it, you know, and um, I presume it's still the same nowadays. Yeah. yeah,
3: Jim, you just mentioned there about the bonus. I, I just heard this story. I think people, other people have heard this as well. i just like to you know if you could confirm it. There was a rumour, a story that I heard that you guys were on a uh, a bonus as such from Adidas to wear their boots in the finals. And people just painted on the tree stripes onto their boots in the finals. Is that true?
1: We did get money for it. We got a vast sum of £33 for wearing the boots. So it was hardly what's well. No. And um, before the game, uh, I was trying to get asleep sleep in the room and the door opened. The nearly mocking walked in and says to me, you're a bloody nuisance. I said, why? He says, well, we've just signed a contract With Adidas to wear their boots for the final tonight, and he says you're the only one in the the team that wears Puma. So he says, "Where's your boots?" I said, "They're over there." He says, "I've got to take these boots away. I've got to find some black paint and paint out that white flash that's along the sides. Then I've got to find some white paint and paint in three stripes along each side." You're a bloody nuisance," he says. And I was lying in the bed thinking to myself, I wonder if Inter Milan are having the same problem.
3: There.
0: <laughs> so, there I uh, are,
1: 33 pounds. That was it.
0: Change days. Yeah. A wee well, question for well, you: just, the in relation to uh, the team that you played in, which is obviously so synonymous with Celtic's history, and uh, it's obviously very well known that the team wasn't it just one of the great personalities; they were actually a phenomenal team. You were a world-class football team. Who? whats three players that have played since 67 for Celtic do you think would have complemented that team or indeed got in the squad? So from 67 to the present day?
1: Yeah, well, in the first place, um, there is nobody who has played since then that would have replaced anybody in the team because the great no, thing about that, that was it was a team that complemented yeah. each other.
3: Yeah, exactly. We're a good,
1: a good goalkeeper, we had a back. Four that worked well with each other. We had two midfield players, and, and all the Murdoch controlled the play, and we had forwards that could score goals. I really don't think there's anybody who could come into the team that would have improved it uh, in any way. But we've had, you know, quite a number of good players since then. You know, Danny McGrain, starting with the year after that. There's a story for you, by the way. Um, when I first went to Celtic Park, I got myself a car after a few months and um, we were joined by a little guy from Edinburgh who I thought was a lazy wee bugger, to be quite honest, and uh, <laughs> didn't do a great deal of work. And I used to run him to the station afterwards, uh, training, so he could get the train back to Edinburgh, and his name was Graham Souness. <laughs> and then,
3: couldn't make the grass. before I got married,
1: I was living with my parents in Cardonald in Glasgow, and I used to go along past Ibrook Stadium and uh, beside the big flats opposite Ibrooks, I would pick up Kenny Douglish and take him up to Celtic Park. And then once we got married, I lived in Bearsdale, North West Glasgow, and I would pick up Danny McGrain at Cannesborough Toll in Glasgow and take him to Trading. Now, what do these three great players have in common? I was the chauffeur and I passed on some useful information. <laughs> 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 uh, they must have listened to me <laughs> <laughs> They do so well <laughs> uh, So I would say that Danny would been You know, you'd, you'd include Danny You would include um, Oh God Ja uh, uh, <laughs> Yeah, Yeah um, Hen- Henrik um, You'd obviously give a mention too um, You know, there'd be a number of players That you could say would have been getting a chance of getting in the team. But because it's a team, and people Mm -hmm. forget that about football, it's a team sport. Everything Mm wants to complement each other. If you're getting attacked down the right-hand side, the left side of the the defence goes over to cover, and the right side comes in to cover the middle. And if it comes down the left-hand side, that reverses and goes as well, and that's really, really crucial. And and I and I think nowadays, I I get a bit concerned that we don't do cover as well as we should. I think mm-hmm. our fullbacks
3: Definitely.
1: sometimes are a bit too far forward, and when the opposition attacks, they're no position to help very much. And um, that just seems to me somewhere that uh, we could improve a wee bit, but. I'm not in charge, so the manager's got to look at that and if he's happy with it, then fair enough. Yeah.
0: No, you're spot on correct. We've spoken mm-hmm. about that a number of times. That The, the, the teams, obviously, the, the, there's a making of a decent team and they're on a right trajectory, but sometimes they're defensively a bit naive. They, they, they press so high up the park that when they get countered on, they're they're, they're so far out of their shape, it's unbelievable. You can see yeah goes I don't
1: bit. think they'll find it easy at the weekends, you know, because, uh, I mean, uh, I mean, they're, the record... They're is, a big team. Yeah, but then, then Johnson have risen to the challenge twice last season, mm-hmm. and yeah, won yeah. two trophies, you know, and I don't think you can ignore them completely. Um, uh, I do a weekly column for the, the Daily Record, and uh, I wrote it this afternoon. It just shows you how your life can get screwed up sometimes, right? I wrote <laughs> it this afternoon because I did not think for one minute that Rangers would bring in Giovanni van Bronckers two days before a League Cup semi-final. So I finished the playman's line, and I left it downstairs and uh, I said to my wife, um, she said, you, you sent it? I said, No, no, I'm going to leave it for a couple of hours and I'll just, uh, I'll, I'll re edit and all that. I'll come back and i put on my phone and they'll sign you, funny, brand broke. <laughs> <laughs> and I tell you, re the second part of it, you know? <laughs> Typical bloody Rangers upsetting my day one way or another, you know? <laughs> <laughs> they upsetting me on the park, they upsetting me off the park. I sent I sent it to three different guys at the record and uh, and I sent them a, a piece tonight and they were all killing themselves laughing about it, you know, that I'd written all that stuff and then I had to half it and say, No, no, the top half is fine, the bottom half will all have to be changed to somebody else, you know. Uh, yeah. It's an it interesting is. point but isn't it? You know? It's um because um It is you know it is. Uh, we'll see how he does but um, I mean it must be
2: a hard job for him right he's coming in obviously um, at a bit of a crucial stage of the season it's a semi-final mm-hmm. you know it's a big game um, sure. you know, if he so wins he...
1: he's going to get credit and if he loses he's going to get a yeah,
2: isn't it? He? yeah he's going to be under a lot of pressure um, nah, yeah. I don't nah. really much much, or pay much hate to him to be fair <laughs> yeah. I just hope he does really really bad Jim have... I hope he really really poor and I hope that the Leaf boys turn up and, and welcome them, <laughs> welcome them back to Scotland with open arms
1: <laughs> yeah we'll see you anyway yeah, yes we'll see you. Yeah.
2: Jim what I always sort of wondered my grandfather who's obviously was obviously God rest him a massive Celtic fan he always mentioned the fact that ma- not many Celtic players um, during the 60s got many Scotland caps was there a feeling at that time did you speak of, um, amongst
1: yourselves as a team about that or No, because everybody knew the problem. The problem was that um, the Celtic support tends to support Ireland rather than Scotland. So if they pick too many Celtic players for the Scottish team, the crowds would drop because the crowds wouldn't come and see them. So, I mean, I get one cap. And for seven years, I held my place in one of the best teams in Europe Mm-hmm. And get yeah. one cap from a country. It was totally illogical, apart from everything else. You know,
3: Shocking.
1: um, better get three, and uh, and I mean, it was just th- that. That's my reading uh, of the situation. But I think that's uh, was the case that they didn't want to. Have... Now there was a classic case. I can tell you what it was. I think it was 1957 because my son Richard was 14 and I took him to Hamden to see Scotland play the Republic of Ireland in, I think, a European nation's time. Anyway, when I went into the ground, um, I was a bit surprised to see so many Irish fans standing around there. And then it dawned on me I was being really thick because they were Celtic fans and they were there to support the Republic of Ireland. So the teams came out and the Scottish team was thoroughly booed by the guys who were wearing the green and white. The captain of Scotland was Roy Aitken. And he got a real real booing. And he was the captain of Scotland. And um, playing my Celtic at the time. Dead odd. The Celtic Rangers sign in this country is just a really strange, you know. And I think that now he's gone, I think Stephen Gerrard in some ways will, he obviously did well at Highbrook's, well enough, you know, he got the trophy that they needed. and But I think he'll be quite happy to be in the Midlands, to be quite honest, you know, because there's, that, yeah. there's bits of the Celtic Rangers but you can well do without, you know. Um, yeah.
3: Mm-hmm. Jim, I would just like to I know we're kind of half an hour in now, just we've only barely touched on it, but just talk take it back to the twenty-fifth of May in Lisbon and I'm probably sick of talking about it, the the penalty, but see that when the penalty happened, was there a fear like in even head ahead of time or oh, I don't want to be the guy that gave away the penalty?
1: Can I just ask you, are you a complete bugger or are you just occasionally <laughs> <in your face? laughs> I don't all the time? Sorry, <laughs> I, like to, I like to know the background of things, you know. Before, you know, anyway, um, <laughs> you know, um, the, the, the referee made the decision. Personally speaking, I think it was one of the worst decisions ever in international football, not That's only a natural one as well. So you can realize why he did it. <laughs> you no, know, what, what I did was, um, now it sounds dead strange, and when I say this to people, they think that you you don't think like that during the game. But believe you me, you know, you've got to think during the game. The guy was, Capolini was a, a, a left-footed player. Um, and he was going down the inside right channel. Now, he was going to come across to his left foot at some point to have a shot at goal because that's what left-footed people do. Same as right-footed people. They want to be on a good side. So I merely ran across his path. I deliberately ran across his path because I stopped him going any further. And um I thought to myself, a referee will give an indirect free kick, which is a known is a known event, isn't it? I mean very seldom when it comes from it, an indirect free kick. And I was absolutely astonished when he gave a penalty. And uh, at half time to me, uh, the boss said to me, uh, forget it, Kenny. Let's get on with things. You're doing free, get on with it. And I said, That's fair enough. And um, I wasn't all that upset or like that. And then a team, a team up, he says to me, we were having a drink uh, afterwards, and he says to me, it was a chancy tackle, OK? I said, "I," but come <laughs> on, would you have given a penalty? He says, no, I'd have given an indirect? I said, well, that's what, that's what I thought as well, an indirect free kick. Well, penalty it was. And... Um, I've gone through my bloody life known as the guy who gave away the penalty. (laughs) Funny enough, my father um, had not wanted to come to Lisbon because he thought that Inter would be too strong for us. And I'd bought him a ticket, and I'd bought him a seat in a plane, and he only decided on the Sunday before the Thursday that he was coming. So when I gave away the penalty, he was sitting up and I knew where he was sitting, by the way, because I'd seen the ticket and I knew where it was. Right? And when I came out, I waved to him up there. I never, I never saw him. I waved to right? <laughs> He turned to my Uncle Philip, who's my godfather, who was with him, and he says, I've come all this bloody way to see that. <laughs> 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 and, and I think he... He was something second thoughts about the fact he was there ever. It all worked out in the end. And he said to me he'd been worried afterwards about being known as the man, as the father of the guy who had given away the penalty kick, which had caused Celtic the European Cup. And I said, well, Dad, could I just say that I had a bigger problem? I was that guy. So yeah. don't any <laughs> bloody problems, all right? Yeah. Yeah. Tim? Yeah. But it was oh, a bit yeah. of a shocking time, and um, in fairness to myself, I'm not somebody who gets too upset by things, so um, I was able to come back, and, and then the same, uh, you know, did a, and then laying on the goal for for Tam yeah. was you know, pretty good. I tried it before with Murdoch, and he he took too long to control it before hitting it, but um, Tam was right on said to me afterwards, by the way. He says, did you hear me shouting? I said, of course I heard you shouting by the way. He says, I know, I was just wondering in case you had to hear me. I said, Tom, your granny in Coltness heard you shouting by the <laughs> <laughs> He was screaming his head off. You know? And what I was waiting for, and see the next time you watch this game, you'll see what I mean. If you see me standing with a ball, and I'm just taking my time, because I'm waiting for somebody to move from in front of Tom to in front of me. So he's got the opening. And it, and it took quite a long time for somebody to come across. And eventually, the guy who was right in front of him comes over to my side. And of course, then there's a space on there. And I pass the ball and get well, hammered this and through. And people say, no, you couldn't have thought of what. I said, of course you think. You don't go through a game not thinking. You go through a game thinking all oh, the flame of time. And you've got to think what you're doing and what you're supposed to do. And, and I said, that was perfectly logical for me. And, to work that out and, and, and wait for to do it and he really meant it perfectly you know it was a real great goal and it came just at a very crucial time you know Jim did you realise
2: after the game like like the impact that this was going to have on the club like I mean even today when we you know even talk about Celtic being European Cup winners like it's still sends goosebumps you know down the back did you realise right away, or was it a bit of a no, shocked, we realize, it... no? We didn't realise.
1: No, um, we didn't realise really at that point. Uh, that that came uh, kind of later. But then several things happened after that. We um, the following night we came back just um, to, to Glasgow Airport, first of all, or well, Renfrew Airport, so there was in those days, and um, we were met by John Lawrence, who was the chairman of Rangers. And I always thought that was a remarkable gesture by him to come and congratulate the team that had just won the European Cup. When you consider the relationship between Celtic and Rangers, has always been kind of fraught right through the ages. And not every Rangers fan I've spoken to since then was pleased with him. But he made the decision, and um, I've always admired him for, for doing so. Then we come back to Celtic Park and this is when it gets a bit soapy, by the way, but um, this redhead passed me by and said, congratulations. And I knew who she was. Her father was the director of Celtic. And I said to her, "Um, thank you very much. I said, "Um, what are you doing yourself nowadays? And she said, well... Um, just finished my second year in languages at Glasgow University and I'm going to Paris next year to teach for a year. And I said, because I'd qualified as a dentist only a few months beforehand, I said, well, be sure and get your teeth checked before you go. And she said, "Um, well, my dentist has just retired fairly enough. And I said, well, I'll look at them for you. And that was my first date with my wife.
0: Smooth operator. Brilliant. the best
2: channel man i've uh, ever heard
1: Jim. we've now been married for <laughs> 51 and a half years and, uh, yeah. brilliant unbelievable and that was it that's uh, celtic was to blame for all that that was Celtic
3: <laughs> <flag>.
1: <laughs> for me never getting the word in edgeways in 51 and a half years that was celtic blame. yeah so that was the, and then we came into training um on the monday morning and um the boss announces that we're going back to play in the Stefano's testimonial in Madrid. <laughs> the very strange thing was that not everybody was pleased. There were those who thought it was stupid to put our newly won European crown up on the line, yeah. Against a team like Real Madrid, which just won the Spanish League. And the reluctant flyers, and there was a few of them by the way, right, in the team they <laughs> didn't finish another trip they wanted to get the bus down in salt or somewhere like that on the course <laughs> we a, a wee out and that was the, the break so the boys had to kind of pull rank and just say no we're going and um, it was actually one of the best things we ever did because there was after the game there was and you can tell from the papers there was kind of a sense of shock throughout Europe that we had managed to do what we did and it was just a feeling that it might have been a bit of a fluke that we'd managed to do this nobody mm-hmm. said it outright, but if you read between the lines you can see that there was more than one people had that, you know so we go to the Bernabeu and there's 115,000 in the stadium and we frankly played them off the park we were far the better team and there was only one goal in it and Jock very cleverly made a couple of changes he put John Fallon in goal instead of Ronnie Simpson and Fallon had a great game and he played Willie O'Neill instead of John Clark. Uh, and and that was him making sure that if the team was beaten, it wasn't the Lisbon team that was beaten. It was, <laughs> team that was beaten. it was a craft table you know, and uh, and um, it was just an amazing game. And after fourteen minutes, uh, <laughs> it just shows you how you get cut, caught up in the game. After fourteen minutes, the ball just went beside the Stefano and he bent down and picked the ball up, and I nearly screamed for a for a foul because he picked the ball up. And that was him take the bow, he held the ball in the air, and he bowed to all four sides of the stadium. And then he came off the park, and that was a hit. And I thought to myself, "You'd have looked a right idiot there, by the way, if, you, if <laughs> agree, agree you what you were trying to do." <laughs> and he played against that night a guy called Hento, whom you might have heard of, who by that time was about mm-hmm. thirty-seven or thirty-eight years of age, and was still like a whippet down the wing really, really quick and um, it was just amazing to play against a man at that age and uh, as I say it was one of our better performances and that for throughout Europe resonated that we had shown that we were worthy champions and beaten Real Madrid on their home turf you know and we get more praise probably for that game than we did for winning in Lisbon you know very strange Amazing
0: Superb. When we conclude our interview, we always ask three wee questions, Jim. But before we get there, um, we just do one each. Um, but before we get there, I was just want to touch.
1: Yeah, uh, sure. Uh, no, 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 <laughs> <a> no, no. <laughs> I was I going to ask for it.
2: a ticket for the game of the weekend. <laughs> I might look over Yeah,
0: stupid. Before we get there, I was just going to touch on in a wee bit more detail, uh, if we could, uh, your friend and. Uh, Teammate Bertie Old, um yeah. obviously a tragic week where he's passing, a phenomenal character and a phenomenal person and sort of revered within the support. Um could you just enlighten us a wee bit about the sort of character that he was and what he was like to be a friend? He's with? just a
1: real extrovert, Bertie. You know, he came from uh, a tough part of Glasgow in Mary Hill, just where Patrick Thistle uh, now play and he was a Thistle fan to begin with, and then you know, he became Celtic through his father. Um but he um, was just a life and soul of the party, Bertie. And, uh, you know, I, I've mentioned one story about him. The, the other thing that people don't realise is now, if you ask Celtic supporters through the last few years, they would all say probably that the biggest game in Celtic's history was Lisbon. You know, um, winning the European Cup, probably the biggest game. The next biggest one would tend to be the 7-1 League Cup final. In mm-hmm. 1957. Now, Bertie in that campaign for the League Cup played in most of the group stages. He played in the quarterfinals against, uh, now I'm off the top of my head here, Tadlanark. It was over two legs, Celtic so beat them. And then in the semi finals against Clyde. And curiously enough, I looked at up the other day there because there was something bugging me, and, and, and that was what was bugging me. So, Clyde were three players short because a flu epidemic had hit Glasgow. And I'm thinking, that's ironic, considering we're in the middle of an epidemic just at the present moment with a COVID and all that kind of stuff. But they had three players missing. Now, Bertie played in all those games, but missed the final. Now, I don't know why. I have no idea why he missed the final. But that would have been remarkable, wouldn't it? That he played in. The two biggest games in Celtic's history. In fact, he was on the periphery of the second one because even if he didn't play, he had been in the dressing room and and maybe on the bench or something like that. At all. But but just quite remarkable that he should have been involved at that stage in two of the biggest moments in in Celtic's history. You know, uh, no, just a great guy, and uh, you know, my sympathies just now go with. You know his wife Liz, his daughter Susan and his son Robert and his extended family and um, I hope God is good to them this week because it'll be a tough week going up to his funeral next week And um, uh, but just a real good guy and an easy guy going go on with and uh, you know um, full of fun and a really good player as well uh, remarkable good player sorry, reminiscent
2: Beautifully put, Jim. Um, it's just blown away by it. You know, just seeing a you know, when Lisbon land and a friend, of probably all speak about him. Is um absolutely main blowing. I know I can speak for the lads. Just to hear it. it is um unbelievable. Um, there's
1: been play golf at Mill. We, Jimmy, never played. You know, so you you hit a shot, but look, it's right down in the middle of the fairway. You know, and you start walking towards your goal. And this red haired midget used to run out from the bushes and so pick a bow and throw it in the nearest bunker and then run back into the bushes again. <laughs> <He> was, always... <laughs> was that after the brandy, Jim? <laughs> he was he was always getting threatened to me by, you know, probably gonna kill him, you know. But, uh, another one that was good fun, you know. But, uh, he said to me one day, uh we were paired up for training and it was <laughs> Uh, sometimes all we did was running and we were doing uh, 50-yard sprints, 50-yard walks, 50-yard sprints, 50-yard walk. We did four laps, of always by the way, right? It's boring as sin, but anyway, in between we're having a conversation. He says, how are you getting on with that latin, me <sighs> 50-yard sprint. Latin. He says, aye. Hey. I say, well, latin. 50-yard sprint. He says, well, all the lectures university are in latin. I said, no, I don't know, man. So, all. what you that? Oh, he said, after another 50 years, ago. <laughs> I said, oh, man. Oh, I said, man, I don't know. Oh, God. He says, God, that's amazing, do not you know it? It's amazing what you learn. Thanks very much. That's okay, you're Oh, God, man. Right? Ah, oh, there. Uh, you know, with some good moments, you know memories. Have you had the Wally O'Neill? Yes.
0: Please yes.
1: Don't yeah. Well, this fascinated me because Wally was when I went in there, most of them had nicknames, right? Some I could work out. You know, Ronnie was Feather. Now, I could work that one out by the way, right? He was older than everybody else in the bloody team, you know, so that was okay. <laughs> Tam was TG uh, or Tam. I didn't have anything else. Murdoch was Chopper as the result of an injudicious tackle at some time in his early days at Circuit Park. But we're down at the one day, and we're dribbling around a few cones and then shooting for goal. And we're just... The lawn was just beside the seafront. There was a wall, and then the sand was the other side of the wall. And Bobby lost his balance as he went through. (laughs) He kicked over a couple of cones. He kicked the last one right over the wall. And Joe Steen says... Would you look at Sam B. Allison over there? Now, Sam B. Allison was a Glasgow demolition contractor. <laughs> and that was... So that was... Bobby had a new nickname. Was it all known after that? Sam all the time, right? <laughs> now, McNeil was Caesar, not because of Julius Caesar, because of Caesar Romero in Ocean's Eleven, who had a hat like the one Billy bought, and that was why he was Caesar. Uh, Luggy had got a kick to the ear one day during the game and the trainer had come on and wrapped bandies way right around his head including his ear and it kept unravelling and the trainer kept, kept coming to the side and I <laughs> going uh, to do it up again so he was Luggy because of that, right? Mm-hmm. Jinky, obviously was Jinky, you know Stevie didn't have a nickname Stevie Chalmers didn't have a, 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 nick- a nickname at all Willie Wallace who had a kind of hoarse voice was always known as WSB. But he shouldn't be known as WSB because his full name is William Semple Brown Wallace. W-S-B. And he was Wisby when he started. <laughs> and that's what he should be called. Wisby, no WSB, right? <laughs> 30. 10.30. Now, um, I was broadcasting for BBC one day at uh, Celtic Park, do you remember when it, there was a gallery? There was a kind of gallery thing suspended from the jungle. That the BBC yes. cameras used to be on. You know, I'm up there with Barry Davis, who was a commentator, and we're waiting for the game. We're waiting for the game to start. We're just watching the warm-up. He says, "Jim, I've got to ask you a question." He said, "I was talking to Bertie on earlier on, and somebody called him ten thirty, but that doesn't rhyme with Bertie." And I said, well, it it does if you're a Glaswegian, Barry, because you don't say 10.30, you say 10.30. And that Mm -hmm. does rhyme And he just shook his head and he said, I will never understand you, people. (laughs) 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 Oh, God. And then Lennox, who was lemon, because we're playing America, came down the following day after a game, and the paper said goal scorer was Lemon, so that was him stuck with that. You never would get rid of that. And when I phone him, he always says to me, "How are you doing, Kenny?" I say, "I'm fine, Lemon." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know we're Bobby and Jim, but no, no, we we stick to the original names and <laughs> see that, you know. And John Fallon, the goalkeeper. Now he was one when I start when I started working all these ones out. And then I couldn't get Fallon's at all because he was known as Peter, or in Glaswegian, Peter. And uh, I, one day I was running with Bobby Lennox through the 50-yard sprints, and I said, I've got to ask you something. And he says, "I came in 50-yard sprint? Uh, Peter, why is he called Peter? Oh, I right, 50-yard sprint. He says, Peter Grady. I said, who's Peter Grady? He says, the invisible man. And right enough, do you remember that? I told him, there was a series oh. in television called The Invisible Man, and his name was Peter Brady. And I said, oh, Why'd you call him Peter 50 yard sprint? He says, Well, have you ever gone a walk with him when you've been in tour or something like that? I said, No, he said, You'll find out. And that was the end of it. So anyway, <laughs> <laughs> the next time we went abroad, I saw him go through the front door and I followed him, you know, <laughs> up <with> him. <laughs> Because I had to find this out. And he disappeared. One minute he was right beside me. I turned to look in the shop window. And I turned back, and he was away. He was <laughs> and that was why I got the name Peter Brownie. He just went into another shop, but he just, he just, disappeared. He uh, disappeared completely. So that was uh, all the nicknames, and uh, and of course Yogi was uh, Yogi Bear, you know. And um, and I <laughs> he a few years ago. I'm staying with my son James just now because we bought another flat in Glen Eagles here and we don't move into the end of the month. So I'm, I'm in my son's house just now. And uh, my granddaughter Chloe, who lives with him, obviously, because he's the father, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> she was out one day with me and I took her. John had a place, um, one of those places for washing cars that he ran. And it was near Dobie's in Stirling, where I am, just now. And um, uh, I said to Chloe, I said, uh, I'm going to take you to meet a bear. She says, a bear? I said, yes, yeah, a bear. Come on, let's go and meet a bear. So I took him on and introduced her with Yogi, right? She says, it's a man, eh? I said, aye. yes, great. Right. So that night, my daughter-in-law, Amanda, phoned me up. And she says, Jim, you've got to help me. Chloe is driving me daft. I said, why? Well, she insists that you two met a bear this afternoon at Dobies. And I've told her, no bear. <laughs> I said, Amanda, you get down on both knees because your daughter is quite right and you are wrong. There is a bear in Dobies. Yogi Bear. So they were a good crowd to deal with and we had a lot of fun and, uh, you know, trips abroad. There was a serious side, there was a humorous side and the boss was really good at at making sure that we did enjoy our training and you know, there was a lot of thought put into it and uh, and it changed kind of regularly and there was never a dull dull moment with it, you know, and um, he was a good boss to have. He knew his stuff and we were very lucky all being there at the same time and also having him in charge you couldn't have asked for more and um, jokers like Bertie in the team as well you know it's always a great thing
0: Absolutely I just think it's so amazing that the team's still revered the way that they are now there's still kids that talk about them teenagers young adults people like my dad and all that sort of stuff that generation after generation still love a football club that's so synonymous with the history of the club so um, again just thank you so much for your time it honestly is an absolute honour to talk to you um, I'm starting to bore
1: you most of the time but uh, you know absolutely yeah. not mate honestly <laughs> I
0: think I think it's safe to say the three of us so are just in all listening to you um, as well as the person that listens to the podcast we um, just wrap up Jim and um, just with three quick questions I'll start off then Leon, and then Pierce. Pierce um, one question huh? I wanted to ask you is no. who is the no. who is the best <laughs> <laughs> who is the best player you've ever played against in your career who gave you the most trouble in a game
1: well, you're going to get surprised because I was fortunate enough to play against uh-huh. uh He was Hedori person. Persson. Um, Arthur Duncan Hibbs was very good as well. And the Continental teams, there's a few guys there. But the best by some distance and the hardest to play against was Willie Johnston. Oh,
3: really?
1: Oh, by some distance. Now, Willie was, I was quick for a big fella. Um, but Willie was quicker than me at the start of a game. So, now you've got to think about this. I couldn't afford to let him go down the line past me because he then cuts into Ward's goal and gets a shot on goal. Mm-hmm. So I used to stand in front of him. I'd, I'd I'd warn Murdoch, who would stand 10 yards inside me, and I would stand in front of Willie and push him in the way towards Murdoch. And by that way, we would stop the forward charge. Mm-hmm. But Ronnie was in it as well because when he got the ball... I would run back and I'd take it from him. I'd walk towards or run towards Willie and just knock it past him, 10, 50 yards, and run him. And he would very often beat me in the run back, but all the time, he's tiring because he's an out-and-out sprinter. I'm more a kind of two twenty, four forty 40 man and I'm maintaining <laughs> him for him and he's tiring. So by the time it comes to second half, I'm as quick as him. And he's, he has been doing the line. 'Cause I'm gonna catch him. And there used to be another player who who'd better be nameless. And this player played for one of the top teams in Scotland. And the boss used to come in with a team sheet sometimes. And players used to get annoyed by this because they would ask me, What did that mean, Kearney? And I said, Ah no, nah, it's just a wee private thing with a boss now. The boss would come in with a team sheet and he would say, Kearney, you're all right. He's playing. And what he meant was that this guy was playing outside left for him. And he would get the ball, and I'd let him get the ball. And he used to knock the ball past me and try and run me. And I was quicker than him. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so why the bloody body was he trying to run me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. You know? But Willie Johnson was only poor in the second half. The first half, he was bloody degrees lightning. So that was my tip there. Willie Johnson, by some distance. Question two, and the answer is no again.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> Jim, I'm going to ask you um, a very sort of obvious question: what What is what does it feel like to be a Lisbon lion? What does it feel like to be a Euro- European Cup winner for Celtic?
1: It's been a real privilege to go through my life as as a Lisbon lion because um, wherever I go. I am recognised as a Lisbon line, and I've been always very, very proud of, of being so. Um, my oldest son, Mark, is in New Zealand, and um, I go and see him, uh, if possible, every two or three years, although we're having a problem this year with COVID because they're having a bigger problem than we are, and uh, yeah. they're, they're, they've shut everything down over there. And I really want to go next year because Mark is... Um, uh, no, next year, uh, 2023, because Mark will be 50 then, and I'll be 80, <laughs> and I'll <they'll> be <laughs> far away from each other, so it'll be nice to, <laughs> to meet up with them at that particular time. But um no, it's always been a privilege to go there, and the last time I went across to New Zealand, which was last year, a year ago, 2019-2020, uh, and... Um, uh, I did two functions. I did one in Auckland, in North Island, and one in Blenheim, which is South Island. Uh, the one in Auckland, for a team which is 10,000 miles away from where the function was taking place, we had 260 turn up for it. Unbelievable. The interest Celtic Football Club. There was 200 in Blenheim. South Island because it's a much smaller place so 201 island 260 in another quite astonishing and I was I did a couple of presentations and I and I took questions and I must have been on my feet for the best part of three hours just people wanted to know things that happened at different times not just my time there but previous generations and, and you know right back to the early days um uh it's just uh it's got such a fantastic history celtic and um you know people seem to like it um but i always thought that that was quite amazing that you get 260 people to turn up to hear about a football team (laughs) whose home ground is ten thousand miles away from where we are
3: just
1: (laughs) quite remarkable absolutely remarkable
3: And then finally, Jim, firstly just to echo the other lads, it's just been like a privilege to speak to and I really, really appreciate it. But my question would be, just with the exception of Lisbon, if you could replay one game you played for Celtic, which one would it be and why?
1: 1969, Scottish Cup final, we beat Rangers 4 nothing. You can't have too many of them. <laughs> that was... Um... That was a really great day. The biggest crowd I'd ever played in front of, 129,870. And um, we just played really well. I was up against Orion Persson, who uh, was a good player, but I was quicker than him. So that was <laughs> end of story. If you're quicker than somebody, that you, knew, you know straight away. Because you know that his job is to try and get past you and if the full is quicker than you... <clears throat> You no know much you can do about it, you know, and uh, I had a great game against him, when we scored the early doors, and that was the day that Billy McNeil scored a goal, and he wasn't picked up by his immediate opponent, who was Alex Ferguson, <coughs> and um, Fergie let Billy go for the header and and failed to pick him up, and always regrets it. I mean, I keep in touch with Alec, we, we correspond regularly by, by letter. Uh, it's quite an interesting thing, you know, he had a heart attack and uh, the, the, the kind of damage he got. Well, he was told to write as part of it, handwrite. So, he handwrites his letters to me, and my writing, which is terrible, by the way, and you can say <laughs> Don't handwriting well, dentists are always, you know, my very because mine is terrible as well. I can kind of uh, <laughs> I read pres- something. I issued a prescription one day, not long before my retirement, and... Um, uh, my receptionist came in about half an hour later and said, uh, You know the prescription you uh, issued? Well, the, pres- <laughs> the chemist can't read your writing. <laughs> and said, you <laughs> can't read my writing? It's pretty obvious what it was, right? So I went to the phone and I said, I, and I explained what it was. And um, she said, Right, I'll tell the patient, you know. So anyway, and the pharmacist. So I went down at lunchtime and complained to the bugger, you know, about the fact. My writing's no bad at all, and when the pharmacist came out, she was a very attractive, twenty-six-year-old lady, and I didn't have the heart (laughs) to say anything. I said, "Good morning, Miss Oldie." And I thought I'd say hello, (laughs) you (laughs) know. I just had to let it go, you know, because <laughs> <laughs> there's, no there's no way I'm going to be brutal to somebody as pleasant looking as that, you know. Pleasure so, yeah. <laughs> to speak to you, gentlemen. Thank you very much, indeed. I'm sorry for boring you. Honestly, not Jim. at all. No. Honestly,
0: the pleasure was no, all <laughs> of us.
2: It's a name I'll never so forget. Much. Thank you very much. It means the absolute world. Thank you very
1: much, Jim. I remember the answer <laughs> is no, no, and no. All right. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you go through life, just not making any mistakes, all right? (laughs) (laughs)
3: Nice to see you guys. All the best. Thank you you so much, Bye-bye.